Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 16, it says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. When Paul wrote this, he had a lot to say. And so in order to describe all that he is communicating here, I'm going to have to spend some time talking about the situation in the Garden of Eden, because he makes a lot of references to what happened during the fall of humanity. And what he says here is that there is some fulfillment to what was foreshadowed by that. There also is a revelation of our God now that in some ways existed before the fall of humanity and the corruption of creation. But he makes a lot of references here. He talks about the creation itself that was subjected to futility and that the creation is not what God originally designed it to be. He did not originally design the creation to function in the way that it is. He had to make some changes. He made some changes for the people because a lot happened as a result of Adam's sin. The Lord presented a curse to Adam that Adam would have to work the land. He would sweat and he would have to till the soil in order to obtain the food that he would need to eat. And the women would experience a number of curses They would have pain in childbirth. He makes reference to that in the sense that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now in verse 22. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 22, that there would be pain in childbirth, that they would have a desire for their husband and their husband would rule over them. So a lot happened as a result of the fall. Let me go back and review some of the important aspects of the fall in terms of how the fall relates to what Paul describes here in Romans chapter 8 between verses 16 and 25. When God created man to begin with, he created man to be in his image. 
And the word that he chose to use in order to describe man in his image was the word B'Tselem. This word meant in his image as in a reflection of who he is. The word describes a reflection. It does not describe an exact copy or an imitation of God. It describes a reflection, something that you would see off of a mirror or off of a body of water. That is how he created us. He created us to reflect him, to reflect his very nature, his character. He did not make us to be a representation of his character or of his nature. He didn't make us in that kind of an image. We were not made to be an idol or to be a copy or a counterfeit of those things that are in heaven. He made us to be a reflection, to be something that he could reflect off of so that he could reflect his very being off of us so that when people see us, when others see us, they will see the living God, not just us. They would see their God. That's what he meant when he said that he would make man in his image. Now, a lot changed when Adam ate from the wrong tree. He experienced the penalty that God gave in the commandment. He said that in the day that you eat from the wrong tree, in that day you will surely die. And when he died, he no longer had the presence of the spirit of life that was breathed within him. The life of God was withdrawn from within him. And so he no longer, he was no longer in the same relationship with God as he was once before. The relationship that he had with his God before was based on the presence of the Spirit of God within him, and that is what made him alive. But according to the law of sin and death, when he ate from the wrong tree, he died spiritually. That's how he died, and he died physically later. That was something else. When he died, he was no longer in the image of God. And this is explained as you look at Cain and Abel, those who were born after Adam. They were not born in the image of God. They were born in the image of Adam. So when we talk about man being in the image of God, well, that is true to an extent. But if you were to look at this from the point of view of the word image that was used, if you were to look at it from the point of view of the word its meaning, its purpose, and if you were to consider the changes that occurred because of the fall of humanity, what we see now in man is we see emptiness, we see death. And if you don't believe me, it's probably because you need to get out a little bit more often and have some exposure to people who do not know the Lord, and you will find death and emptiness, you will not find the presence of God, and you will not find your God being reflected off of these individuals. And so in that sense, I am very comfortable in saying that we are no longer in the image of God. Instead, we are a reflection, to use that word correctly, we are a reflection of what it is like not to have God. And that is the description of humanity and the history of humanity. That is what we have. That is what we have been dealing with. Now, when God reflected himself off of Adam, his glory, the revelation of who he is, was manifested. But when Adam died, that was no longer possible. Now, with us, we are born again by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The good news is that he died for the sins of the world so that he can offer to us the spirit of life that was lost in Adam. And when 
the living God comes and takes up residency within you, then he will begin to change you and transform you. Now, first of all, you do experience a change, and that is that you are resurrected. And I would consider that to be a very profound change. You are resurrected by the presence of the life of God, and he will begin to do a work in you. He makes you alive. You are then a child of God. You are not like the original creation of Adam and Eve. You are now a new creation, something entirely new, entirely different. He makes you into a new creation. You are identified as a child of God, and he begins to grow and mature you. He reveals himself to you, and you grow from a baby to an adult, to a mature person in Christ Jesus. The objective of the Christian life is not to figure out how to stay a baby. You are to mature and grow. Certainly, when you are first born again, you are to feed on milk, but eventually you are to feed on meat. You are to mature. You are to grow in the relationship that you have with him because he wants a people that are adults in Christ Jesus. In addition to being children, he wants them to be mature adults so that he can have a relationship with an individual that is outside what you would expect to see between a parent and a baby. He is definitely after something much more than just him having a bunch of babies. He wants a people. He wants a priesthood. That's what he is after, among other things. But when he begins to do a work within you, and that is manifested in your life, when he changes your heart, when he changes who you are as a person, and he does so in such a way that your life changes in a measurable way. And what I mean by measurable is that people will see you as being different. They will see that you once were one person, but now you are no longer that person. Now you are somebody else. I can say this in my own life. I know what it is to be lost in this world and have no relationship with God whatsoever. And I know what it's like to be in this world saved, resurrected by his spirit, and to be reasonably mature in Christ Jesus according to the gospel and according to the revelations that he has shared with me concerning who he is, what he has done, and what he's going to do. I know the difference between being lost and being saved, and I can tell you that there is a measurable difference between my life as a lost person and my life as a saved person. But what does that really show? Does that show something about me? No, absolutely not. There is no way that I can boast or esteem some sense of pride by saying, look at what I have done. Look at who I am in comparison to who I once was. This is one of the reasons why I generally don't like to talk about my own personal testimony a whole lot, because I don't want to be known for who I once was, and I definitely don't want to be known for who I am now, especially by comparing the two. I want you to know Jesus, not me. I want you to know Jesus. And so I don't talk about those things with a lot of detail, because I don't want you to be distracted by the one who makes the changes. Testimonies have their value, and perhaps one day he might encourage me to share mine in the sense that there are a lot more details that I could probably share with you. But that is not what he's doing with me now, and so I'm not going to consider it. What I want you to understand, though, is that because of these measurable changes, I can say that I am now reflecting my God. 
that you can see him in me in some small ways. You definitely should not look at me and say, look, there is the glory of God. That's not what I'm referring to. What I am saying is that you should recognize that who I am now is definitely the consequence of some divine intervention of some kind. And because I live as a testimony that divine intervention was made, because my testimony expresses that, I can tell you that the glory of God can be seen within and through me. Again, not to boast in my own personal accomplishments, and certainly not to esteem any sense of pride, but to only say that God created mankind to be a reflection of himself, and he reveals himself and he reflects himself off of his children, off of his people, who he has made as new creations. He does this. And when this happens, we cannot boast about that. I cannot claim anything with regards to that. Instead, what I want you to acknowledge is the glory of God, that it is his glory that is being manifested. It is his glory that is being revealed. Now, this was only possible through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was not restored to humanity until after Jesus died and rose from the dead. And so between the time of the fall of Adam up until the day when Jesus rose from the dead and then later he gave the Holy Spirit to the disciples and the church was born on the day of Pentecost, between that time, approximately 4,000 years, the creation, the world, suffered with this condition that the glory of God, that our God was not being reflected in the world that he made. It was in some way, certainly, if you were to look at the things that are alive and you recognize that only God could have done that, I understand that. But there is another type of glorification that God was only able to do, he was only able to accomplish through the people that he made. That is a unique glory of the reflection of God through his creation of humanity. That's what I'm talking about. And I want you to know that there is a restoration that has occurred. A restoration that is not finished yet, but it has at least occurred. So between the time of Adam and Jesus, the creation itself suffered in the condition that it was in because the glory of God was significantly limited. But now, today... The glory of God is beginning to surface. His glory is being reflected off of his children. Those who he has resurrected, the sons of God, are alive. They are living. We are living now in this world. And he reflects himself off of us, within and through us, and manifests himself. Now, one of the ways that the glory of God is manifested within his people is through the sufferings of this world. For example, there is a lot of sin in this world. There are many people who do not acknowledge the existence of God, and even those who do have many opportunities to commit sin, and they do that. And as a result, there is suffering. There is a lot of suffering. Some of the suffering has been persecution. Some of the suffering has been the result of the temptations of sin. But most of the suffering has had to do with decisions that people have made in their own self-interest that has resulted in the pain and suffering that other people get to experience as a consequence of what others decided and of what others have done. So there is plenty of suffering in the world, but one of the responses that we can share 
concerning the sufferings that we personally encounter, one of the responses is forgiveness. Another response is patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Only in the presence of sin and suffering will patience have true meaning to it. If you're going to be patient, you need something to be patient with. When you do not keep any records of somebody's wrongs, you have to have some wrongs to keep records of. That is the value of suffering in the world that enables our God to manifest his glory in ways that he could have never, ever accomplished without the presence of sin. Now, this certainly doesn't justify the presence of sin. It doesn't mean that God needs sin. doesn't mean that. What it means is, is that in the midst of the sin that I am confident he does not want, he is still able to make use of it. He is still able to take advantage of it, that he can still use it for his purposes and for his glory. That there is nothing that can ever be done that God cannot take advantage of. And this is one of the ways that he has done this. So beginning again in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And this, of course, is a personal experience that only the children of God will ever know. In verse 17, it says, And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, what it means to be an heir is that you have received an inheritance. And there's a lot to be said about the inheritance. I've done a series of programs on the subject of the will of God, describing the inheritance that we have received as a result of his death. I need to encourage you to listen to those programs if you have not done so already, because it's a very important subject, especially in the context of his will, the inheritance, and you being an heir. But continuing in verse 17, it says, If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Now, first of all, through the sufferings that we experience in our lives, in our daily lives, the glory of God can be manifested in our response to the sufferings that we encounter. The Lord does a work in our hearts in such a way that we respond differently. We discover this as we grow and mature, that he changes us from the inside. And we know, we know full well that when we deal with the world in a different way, when we respond to the sufferings of life in a way that we never would have before, we know that all of the credit is due to him and there is an opportunity to recognize the glory of God, knowing that he changed our being, changed our hearts from the inside through fulfilling the deepest needs of our hearts by giving us himself giving us his presence, his love, and his acceptance. Continuing in verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. When you experience the glory of God being manifested within and through you, when you see the revelation of your God as he shows himself, through the changes that he makes deep inside of you, then the sufferings of this world are no comparison to the revelation of God. Again, there's no need to go out and pursue more sufferings in order to see more of this. We have plenty to go around for everyone. But when you see what he is doing, what he has done, what he has accomplished, 
And when you understand how he is interacting with the world that he has made in such a way that people can begin to see who he is, then at the very least, it's much easier to continue to live in the sufferings that are a part of our lives. In verse 19, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. In verse 19, he says this is not only about the glory of God, but it is also about the revelation of the sons of God. Now, of course, the revelation of the sons of God has to do with the revealing, the revelation of the God who made the sons. That is true. But we are participants. We are participants in the revelation of the glory of God. And the creation has been waiting for the people to be resurrected, which was accomplished through Christ Jesus. The creation has been waiting eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God, the ones who God would resurrect, the ones who he would work through so that his glory would once again be manifested in a way that has not yet been seen since the Garden of Eden. That is what the creation has been waiting for. And he is allowing us to be participants in this work that he is doing. We are participants in what he is accomplishing right now. And what is he accomplishing right now? The revelation of himself by revealing himself within and through the sons of God. It is also through the revelation of the sons of God. Continuing into verse 20, it says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The hope was the future revelation, the future resurrection of the people, the gospel that would come in the future. The situation was not hopeless. It was not hopeless at all. It's just that the Lord had a work to do, and he has taken some time to accomplish that. In verse 21, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And I believe that this is a prophetic statement referring to what will happen in the future as the children of God are glorified through the reflection of the glory of God off of them, within and through them, and that the freedom that we get to experience is also a freedom that the creation itself gets to enjoy. And this will continue to grow. This freedom will continue to increase with the increase of the body of Christ. And this will continue up until the final point when the living God returns here to earth to make some serious changes in this world. And at that point, there will be a new freedom that the creation will experience. In verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now, making a correlation between the pain of childbirth that women experience and the pain of childbirth that the earth has been experiencing. But in this context, he's saying that the sons of God have come out of the world. The childbirth is the birth out of this world. And that, of course, involved pain and suffering. But through reconciliation and through resurrection, the glory of God will be manifested through the sons of God. In verse 23, And not only this, but also we ourselves 
having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. We have been redeemed, we have been resurrected, but this is not the end. There will also be a physical resurrection of some kind. I don't know the details concerning that, but I do know that there is something more for us to hope for. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it, and we eagerly wait for something that we know will eventually be revealed. And this is something that we look forward to with excitement, with expectation, knowing that the glory of God will be manifested even more beyond what it is right now. So how is it that the hope that he speaks of is going to be real in your life? How is it that you are going to persevere with this expectation that something will be revealed, that your God will be revealed within and through you? How do you persevere with this expectation? Because he has shown himself to you in a small way. And in showing himself to you in a small way, you know that he will show himself to you in a greater way. And this is a realistic expectation. This is an expectation that we live in. And the reason why we, as children of God, are able to sustain and persevere is because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, testifying to us that we are children of God. If you have believed the gospel, if you have been resurrected from the dead through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, he is within you and he will confirm to you that you are his child. Through his presence, through his glory, you will have perseverance. But this is not all that you will have. You will not have just hope and perseverance. There are other opportunities for the living God to manifest himself in your heart. And one of the ways is described in verse 26. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And I will explain this in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,